Well, good morning, Doxa. It is uh, really good to see you guys. If you're, if you're new or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Hope you guys having a good day, had a great weekend. For those of you guys who were at the movie night on Friday, hey, it actually worked this time, right? Yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we had a big movie night last time without a movie, and so it was good. I felt great about it until I got home and then realized I had about 30 slushies and like 15 bags of popcorn. And I'm just, I was like that little kid who just eats sugar and then runs around and then pukes. That's like what I, I did. But I, I really didn't puke. Someone was like, oh, Rob, I'm 36. Okay, I can take care of myself. <laughs> but uh, guys, go ahead and grab your Bible. All right, open up to, to Romans chapter 8. We're in the midst of our... Uh, Gospel Doctrine series, where honestly what we're doing is we're just simply trying to, to wrestle with and, and understand some of these great truths of Jesus' gospel. But while you turn to, to Romans 8, let me, let me say this, okay? One of the, the great critiques of, of Christians today, guys, is that there seems to be a, a disconnect between the God that we say that we love and follow and the way that we live and love in the world around us. In fact, one of the, the leading research groups in our country called the Barna Group, who've conducted million, over a million interviews with people both inside and outside the church, as they've interviewed people, there's been a word that's been attributed uh, to, to Christians most frequently, and you're probably guessing it, or you've thought about it, it's the word hypocrite. All right, and in one sense, if, if you're a Christian and you like to debate, maybe you can kind of recoil to this statement and you say, well, that's just not fair. That's just someone's stereotype and a perspective that they don't really understand God. They don't really understand what it means to be a Christian. And you can kind of debate and you might even say, you know, when we become a Christian, when we come to Jesus in faith, it's about being forgiven and saved, but it's not about necessarily being perfect. All right? so, so in one sense, you could say like all Christians are kind of like recovering hypocrites because we can't live perfectly like the Jesus that we love and serve and proclaim. But in another sense, guys, there is a, a really unsettling and destructive reality to many Christians' lives today. That we can be part of like a, a worship service like this and, and we could be excited and pumped up and you can be pumping your fist to like the part of the song that gets really big, you know, and we can have a fog machine and it'd be, oh my gosh, this is awesome, right? And you're clapping your hands and waving your flag, whatever you're doing, right? And then we can walk out and immediately go into worldly living. And wrongly, we don't see any disconnect with this. And as Christians, guys, we, we have this real tension that we want to follow God. We want to be about the things that God is about. But let's be honest, it's a, it's a struggle to actually do it. It's a struggle to live like Jesus. And Paul, if you've been with us in Romans chapter 7, he just got done talking about this. He, he shared his personal story, his own reality, where he says in, in Romans 7 that the things that I hate I find myself doing. And if we're all honest, guys, we, we experience this struggle with sin at times. And the question is, it's this, is what can we do about this struggle? I mean, is this a, is this a fight that we can even win? And as you think about that, here's what I believe to be true, okay? I don't think that our main problem is that we find sinful things in the world around us attractive. Now, that's, that's for sure a problem, but I think even deeper than that, our, our main problem is that we don't find God as attractive as he is, and we're not amazed by God and his gospel. And this is especially true. This can be especially true for those of you who have been Christians for a really long time. If you've grown up in the church or around the church, that you know the Bible stories, you've, you've heard the things, 
right? You, you've been to a bunch of church services, like you know the gospel, you've, you've heard it, and, and what happens is you kind of just get used to God. And for some of us, you, like, you know, the, the things about the gospel that, that were once like amazing and captivating and exhilarating, they've just kind of become just kind of normal, maybe even meh, where we get used to it. And some of you today, guys, I, I know this, in a room this size, some of you today, you're, you're kind of existing in that place, that you're kind of just going through the motions. Now, you believe, and you love God, and you're in this fight of Romans chapter 7 with sin, but you're losing. And I think that, that many of us, we, we can lose because we lack amazement in the gospel, and guys, with this, this is my goal today, okay? What I want to try and do is we open up the Bible. This is what we do together, guys, at Doxa. We just open up the Bible, seek to hear from God, and apply it to our lives, and by the power and the presence of the Spirit, just walk out of here and actually do something with it. And so what I want to do is really just try and deepen our understanding, our amazement, and our excitement for the gospel, which I believe will ultimately help us to live for God and find victory over sin and temptation in our lives. And this is really, guys, what Romans 8 is all about, that this chapter is a, is a chapter of, of victory. It's a chapter of, of victory from sin and, and over sin, and it's filled with, guys, not just good news, but, but great news, amazing news. And this amazing news, guys, when, when it moves from like our head to our heart, this is the stuff that begins to change people. This is when you see people that just have a radical shift in the way that they view God, the way that they view people, the way that they view their life. This is what happened. The gospel has gone, gone from this, this normal thing that kind of exists in our head to down to our heart that literally changes everything and we're enthralled by it. And so let's get into this. Okay, Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 12. Guys, I got a new Bible. Guys, this is like one of the weird things about Christians. Like, you know, you get a... <laughs> Someone gave me a Bible like 15 years ago. I'd be like, oh, sweet, this is great. I can prop up the table with it. But now I'm like so excited about it, okay? Anyway, it's goat spin. Smells wonderful. Okay. Anyway, Romans chapter 8. Here's what we see in verse 12. So then, brothers. All right, we need to stop there. We're not going to do it every, every three words, but we need to stop. Paul is saying that in light of the, the good news, the gospel news that we see in verses 1 through 11 that we looked at last week, he says, so then. All right, that in light of the fact that if we have come to Jesus in faith, if we are in Christ, if we are a Christian, that there's no condemnation. He just got done saying that. There's no condemnation for sin, that we have eternal life with God to look forward to, that he's given us everything. He's given us the Holy Spirit that is dwelling within us, and he allows us to live for God. And, and Paul says, so then, in light of all that, brothers... All right, and he's talking in this context, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to the people who have come to Jesus, all right, they're part of the family of God, and they have the Holy Spirit. All right, and if you were here last week, I, I told you that you know, Romans 8 is, is a chapter of, of victory, right? but it's also a chapter of the Holy Spirit. That in Romans chapter 8, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit around 19 times in the first 27 verses. Now you compare that to the first couple chapters, the first seven chapters of Romans, he does it maybe two or three times. And so this is a chapter of the Holy Spirit. And if you were here last week and you're listening now, like all this Holy Spirit talk, it can seem kind of maybe weird to you, right? Maybe you, you're, if you're not a Christian, like you're, you're here at Docks and you're like, there's a lot of things that seem weird, right? Singing songs, you have your hands up in the air, dipping people in water, snack time with bread and juice, like all this stuff. Like what is going on with you people, right? You're nice enough, but you're weird, right? 
But one of the things that we believe from the Bible is that when you become a Christian, right, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. All right, Paul shared this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If you look back to that, he said that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you as a Christian. And, and maybe you've, you've heard the Holy Spirit, maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit called like the, the Holy Ghost, and you're just like, is this like Ghostbusters, like weird episode of Stranger Things, like what is going on, okay? But here's what we believe, guys. I just, I want to share briefly what we believe about God as it relates to the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, which is, the Trinity is, is not a word that you find in the Bible, but it's a word that Christians have used throughout history to explain the nature of God. And I'm going to give you a definition of the Trinity, okay? It's going to come up here. I'm going to encourage you to write this down. And this is not so that we can be a super academic church, but this is so that we can be a Bible-saturated, Jesus-loving church. We need to know theology. You, you need to know doctrine. And so when we talk about the Trinity, it's this, is that God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, even though in our finiteness we, we can't fully wrap our mind, you can keep that up there so people are writing, okay? We can't wrap our mind around this reality of God, but we see it in the Bible. One God existing as three persons. I'm going to give you some examples, okay? So, for example, in the Old Testament, if you rewind to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 1.26, God is speaking, and he's creating everything, and he's pre preparing to create humanity. And as he does this, he speaks of himself as us, a plurality. He says, let us create man in our own image. There's a plurality there with God. And even as you fast forward to the New Testament with Jesus, as Jesus is speaking in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission in verse 19, he tells his followers to go out into the world and, and tell people the good news of the gospel. And he says, do this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And really, if you read the Bible, guys, peppered throughout the entire Bible, there's these types of like Trinitarian verses that reveal to us the nature of God. And so all that to say, guys, when we speak about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. We, we just need to be clear on that, that the Holy Spirit is, is not a force or a thing, but he's a person. And the Holy Spirit is whom we believe that every Christian has indwelling in them upon faith. And it's in light of this that Paul says, back to verse 12, look again. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But I want you to circle this next part. But if by the Spirit... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so he says, brothers, those of us who, who have the Holy Spirit of God in us, we're debtors to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to come back to that here in just a minute. But look at verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, circle led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. Now, guys, this is key for our understanding what Paul is saying here. And this kind of lends to our, our big idea, all right? That as we talk about our lives and in our everyday life and the struggles that we had for, have with sin, you need to know this. And for those of you who are note takers, I'm going to tell you to write this down. This is kind of like our big idea, that you'll have the life you want when you're led by the Spirit. You'll have the life you want when you're led by the Spirit. And this idea of, of being led by the Spirit, many people, even Christians, we, we think wrongly about this. 
All right, many people think about being led by the Spirit is, is like the Holy Spirit helping us to, to make decisions in life, right? That we, we make the right decision about a spouse or we help we find the right job or the right house or the right whatever, all right? Many people think of like being led by the Spirit is like, hey, Alexa, okay, what do I do, right? No, it's, it's not like that, okay? And yes, the Holy Spirit is our, our guide and our counselor and, and he, he guides us. But Paul gives us a much more biblical understanding of being led by the Spirit here in Romans 8. And he focuses in on several things that the Holy Spirit leads us towards. And when we get this, guys, it's going to lead us into a deeper understanding of the gospel. It's going to help us to see how good God actually is. And that's all going to lend itself for us having victory over the sin struggles that we have. So first, Paul says this, that the Holy Spirit leads us into, number one, holiness. Look back at verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, circle this last part, you will live. All right, he says if if we have the Holy Spirit, we're debtors to the Holy Spirit. This word is translated in other Bibles as it's your obligation to live all right, he says that we're not in debt to the flesh, but we're in debt to the spirit, that we have an obligation to the spirit. So, so why? We have to ask questions when we read the Bible. Why are we in debt to the Holy Spirit? And guys, it's this, is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, and the spirit gives us life. And the Holy Spirit in our lives, guys, has applied to us all that Jesus has achieved for us, that he saves us from our sin. He pronounces no condemnation on us. He gives us eternal life, that the Spirit has literally given us everything. And so he says, hey, look, since the Spirit has has freed you from death, that your flesh and your sin bring, you now have an obligation with the new life that you have been given. And I'll give you an example from my life. Okay, when I turned 16, all right, I, I got my driver's license and my parents gave me a truck, okay? And I, and I remember my dad saying, we were standing on the porch. Actually, we were sitting on rocking chairs. That's what my dad did when he really wanted to get serious. We sat on our Cracker Barrel rocking chairs, and he smoked a cigarette and looked at me, and was like, here's what you need to know, okay? But anyway, we're sitting there, and, and he looked at me, and he says, hey, we love you, and we really want to give you this gift. But you need to understand something. What is that? And he pointed to the truck. I was like, truck? No. I'm like, okay, well, you're losing me already, right? And he's like, that's like a 5,000-pound bullet. Don't be an idiot and kill yourself or kill someone else out there on the road. And I remember him saying that and be like, oh, my gosh. But what he was getting at is that I had an obligation with this gift that I was given to drive responsibly. All right, and in, in a way, guys, this is what Paul is saying, that God has given us everything, even himself. And now he's saying, here is how you live in response to that. And he says our obligation or our debt is now to live according to the Spirit's desires for our life, not the desires of our flesh. And the Spirit's desire for our life is to be like Jesus. It's to be holy. This is a word, holy just literally means set apart. And holiness is simply just Christ-likeness in our life. All right, that the, the main objective of Jesus was not just our justification, but it was our holiness. This is what he came and he lives for and he died for. It's living like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, not living in the flesh and in our sin. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, if you want to write that down, you can look at it later. But in Ephesians 5, 1, Paul says it this way. He says to be imitators of God, that this is what Jesus saves us for. This is the goal. And as we live our lives being led by the Spirit, we begin to look more and more like Jesus. And we purge ourselves from sin. And so really what Paul is saying is that if we're truly in Christ and have the Holy Spirit, that we can't stay the same. That we can't keep living in the flesh and living in sin. You can think of it like this, okay? If you have a fireplace, anybody have a fireplace here? Okay, for a while. You guys have been around fireplaces, okay? So if you have a fireplace and there's a fire burning in the fireplace, what is the natural result? Okay, not heat. Gosh, I knew someone was going to say that. What is it? It's, it is a natural result. I get it, okay? I'm looking for smoke, right? <laughs> Should have thought that one through a little bit more, right? But smoke, right? If there's, if there's, a, if there's a fire burning, Smoke is the natural result that's coming out of the chimney. This is what Paul is talking about. That if the Holy Spirit is in us, the results in our, in our lives is going to be the smoke that comes out from our lives is holiness, not sin. In Galatians 5, Paul is going to talk about this, right, being the fruit of the Spirit. He said, here's the fruit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, then you're going to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self, all of these different things. He says, you're going to have all of this. That's the smoke that comes from the life of a Christian. It's not pride and anger and greed and idolatry and lust and fill in the blank with whatever you struggle with. Now, here's the question, guys. How can we possibly do this? How can this possibly true, be true of our lives? Right? Look back. Paul tells us right here. He says it's being led by the Spirit. And one of the, the primary things that the Spirit leads us to do is this. Look back to Romans 8.13. It says that the Spirit leads us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. He's saying here's what it means to be led by the Spirit, that you kill sin. And guys, the Greek word that Paul uses here, you just need to know, I'm not going to treat or teach you a Greek word, but you need to know that it's a word of violence. When he says put to death, it is a word of violence, that there is a mean, violent streak in the life of a Christian. And it's not towards people. All right, this violent streak in the life of a Christian is not towards people who don't believe the things that you believe, but it's a violent streak towards your sin. It's a violence towards your pride and your greed and your racism and your addictions. It's, that's the violence. Paul is talking about this ruthless, full-hearted war against the sin that is in your life. And what this means, guys, is that Christians, we don't play games with sin. We don't seek to, like, wean ourselves off of it. You don't seek to say, you know what, I'm going I'm to kind of keep this under control and manage it, and so I still have it in my life. I'm just going to make sure it doesn't become that big of a deal. He's literally saying, kill it. Make war against it. you got to kill it because if you, you need to understand that, that if you're not killing sin, sin is killing you. And Paul says it leads to death. It will rob you of everything that God wants to give you. And he's talking about this lifestyle of killing sin because it's an ongoing thing until we die and we're in glory with Jesus. And maybe you hear this, right? And, and I've been in this place. You hear this and you, and you think, oh my gosh, that's just hopeless. 
you know, maybe some of you, you're even thinking about like the sin struggles in your life right now, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky if, if I can go a couple days without being stuck in living in my flesh and living in this sin. How the heck can I even do this? And some of you, you're just tempted to be like, well, you know what? Screw it. I'm not even going to try because I know that I can't do it. Because we talk about this all the time. God is so good. And with Jesus, there's always good news. There's gospel news. God gives you the ability to do this. He not only saves you and gives you a new life with an obligation, but he allows you to fulfill that obligation. And I want you to know, guys, that this isn't, a, this isn't based on your own strength and your own self-discipline. This isn't based on you just like white-knuckling it and trying to do it and be really, really good. It's not about that at all. Sure, God uses that, but it's about the Spirit in your life, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to kill sin. And here's how he does it. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. All right, so Paul is saying that, that the Holy Spirit, the capital S Spirit, is speaking to our spirit. And he's talking to us. And this is how he helps us to kill sin. But here's what he's saying, verse 16, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that what? Circle this next part, that we are children of God. And if, a, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And guys, when you get this, when we understand this, this is the stuff, right, that if we were more responsive, I'm working on this, that this is the time where people, if my grandfather was here, he'd be in the back being like, amen, right? Like, this is the stuff that when we understand, it, it allows us to just, like, communicate, like, joy and thanksgiving. Like, this is just crazy good news, that we are children of God, that we are heirs of God. We get everything. Jesus gives us everything, and we get to enjoy it with him for eternity. And here's what this means, guys. In our fight with sin, the Spirit leads us to holiness, and he speaks to us, and he reinforces in us our standing with God. I've heard it said that when the Spirit, or when the flesh flares up, the Spirit now speaks up. That when you're being enticed and, and tempted, right, with sin in the flesh, the Spirit speaks up and he talks to you. And this is not, you guys remember those cartoons, right, where something bad is being, is happening and like you got the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, you, you know what I'm talking about? And the devil's like, oh, don't do that. And the spirit's like, or the angel's like, oh, whatever, you know, whatever, I mixed that up, right? But that, this is not what's happening in this, this saying, okay? Because what, what happens? What's the natural outcome of that situation, right? The, the devil is just kind of sitting there saying, hey, do it. And the angel is sitting there saying, don't do it. The angel isn't sharing any type of good news. He's just telling you, no, don't do it. But guys, this is not what's happening here with Paul says the spirit speaks to our spirit because when the spirit speaks to our spirit, he's not just saying, don't do that, but he's preaching the gospel to us. He's preaching good news. He's saying, look back, you're a child of God. You're an heir with Christ. And guys, this is how we combat sin and walk in holiness. Because the, the best way to combat the sin in your life is to find something more attractive than the sin in your life. It's the gospel, that we're children of God. And Paul is saying that the root of sin can be cut out, and we can walk in holiness and freedom from sin if we continually expose ourselves 
to the unimaginable love of God for us. And when we do that, guys, that exposure to the gospel, it creates a wave of just love and gratitude and a feeling of obligation that, that I get to live with God, that I get to live for God, that I get to be like Jesus, holy, set apart. And Doxa, I'll tell you this. Someone in here needs to know this today. You can, in fact, kill sin's power over you by focusing on Jesus' redemption for you. Don't focus on not sinning. Focus on Jesus. And as you do this, it will cause you to, to hate sin because it just pales in light in the face of, of the beauty of the gospel. Because and this is part of the reason why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church. Right? We talk about that. That's one of our core values, being Bible-saturated. Well, why do you do that? It's because the Spirit speaks to our spirit. And when the Spirit speaks to our spirit, he's not just saying, hey, hey, I'm here. Don't do that thing. That's really bad. Right? You're going to make Jesus cry. Right? Don't do that. Right? <laughs> he's not just saying that. He's speaking the truths of Scripture. And when the words of the Bible are in you, the Spirit speaks them to you. And when all these amazing truths of the gospel come and flood your minds, sin loses its power in our life because Jesus is better. The gospel is better than any sin in this world, and sin loses its power. God gives us the ability to have that amount of freedom by leading us by his Spirit into holiness. So he leads us into holiness, but he also does this. Number two, the Holy Spirit leads us to have assurance. He leads us to have assurance in our salvation. Look back to verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but underline this next part, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And you know, Ronnie mentioned that we're part of a, a larger network called the Salt Network. One of the reasons why I I love our network of churches is because we have some really, really godly leaders and some really, really gifted Bible teachers. And there's a guy that I've become friends with and respect a ton, probably one of the best Bible teachers that I've ever known. His name is Jake Each. And he's taught me so much about this reality that we're going to look at, and of which I want to give to you some of it, okay? But listen, the sin-killing behavior that the Spirit leads us to comes from understanding our new standing with God, right, that we're adopted by God. And when he says that we're adopted as sons, okay, this is a, a status statement, all right? This isn't like a, a sexist statement at all, because you need to understand in this day, in this time period, daughters weren't able to inherit property. They weren't legal heirs. And so when Paul refers to all of us being adopted as, as sons, he's saying that this is how God is, is treating us all, that this is our status before God as Christians, that he adopts us as heirs. And guys, there's assurance in this. And here's why insurance, insurance, okay? I'm gonna bring the State Farm guy up, okay, right? <laughs> here's not, insurance is important, okay? If you wanna talk about that, we'll have a breakout session. Ronnie can lead that after church, okay? But here's why assurance, okay, is such a great thing for us, all right? Many Christians walk through a life with just fears and questions around their salvation, I mean, just the other day, I was, I was talking with a guy at the gym, 
right? That's my relationships with guys at the gym, like, always start off, like, really cool. Like, they're like, oh, cool, nice tattoo. How much you bench, bro? And then they find out I'm a pastor, and it goes one of two ways. It's either like, or they come to me with every question in the world, okay? This guy happens to come to me with every question in the world. And so I'm, like, in the middle of, like, doing something, and he's like, hey, I got a a question for you. I'm thinking he's going to ask me about working out, and he's like, so I'm afraid of going to hell, okay? And we just start talking at the gym. And as I'm talking to this guy, I think that he actually does love God. And I think he has put his faith in Jesus. He can articulate the gospel. But he's constantly questioning if he's done enough for God. He lives in this constant fear that leads him to ask me this question, did I mess up this too much this time? Have I gone too far? Do I believe the right things? Like, like how can I be sure Like if eternity is out there and it's hanging on something that I don't have, like how can I be sure? And Paul is saying, guys, you don't need to fear. Because if you have the spirit of God through faith, you have been adopted by God and you are completely secure in his family. And this is so significant because I think sometimes we, we can reduce being a Christian to being saved or forgiven. And that's emphatically true. But I think that when we, when we kind of whittle it down to that, it kind of cheapens our understanding of salvation because it really doesn't communicate our standing in our relationship with God. Because if we're just forgiven, guys, then God doesn't seem like a dad. And if you think about it, all throughout the Bible, the way that God chooses to reveal himself is Father. That if it's just about being forgiven, God just seems like a really nice boss. Right? That he's patient with you when you mess up. But ultimately, guys, there's, there's fear. If you got a job, you have a boss. And you can, have, you can live in that fear and say, man, have, have I done enough? Like, is he, is he happy with me? Like, am I, am I performing well enough? Is he going to fire me? Or is she, is she going to, like, demote me? Am I going to lose my position? Like, there's fear with that. You felt this from your employers before. But listen, guys, God did not give us a, a spirit of slavery or a spirit of employment to fall back into fear. That we have received a spirit of adoption. That he doesn't want to just hire you. He wants to adopt you. And when you understand this, that God is Father, it changes everything. It changes the way that you view him. It changes the way that you view the Bible. It changes every single word that you hear coming out of my mouth because now you know that the Father is loving you and speaking to you. Look back to verse 16. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry what? Abba, Father, circle that. The Spirit is, is talking to our spirit, and he's telling us this good news of our adoption. And because of this good news that he keeps telling us, we cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is just like this intimate term that, that young Hebrew kids would, would use because it was easy to say. It's, it's kind of like Dada. It's, this is how we view God. And we cry it out. And the Spirit, he's telling us, you, you, you've been adopted. You're his kids. And we can just sit there and say, that's my dad. And he loves me. And there's security there. And he's got me. I'm with him. And nothing can change that. And we have, we have assurance in that because there is my dad. He's adopted me. I'm in the family. 
It's kind of like this, guys. One of the best parts of, of my day is when I get to see my kids after work. I, and Titus is a little grumpy, so it's about 80% of the time that this is true with him. But, but you know, I, I come home, or if I see him at, after school or, or something like that, you know, I, I, I walk in, and they, we make eye contact, and they, they could be doing whatever, and then they just stop, and they smile. Like, Daddy! And they just run and jump on me, and Lily wants to hug me and kiss me like a princess. Titus wants to punch me in the face, right? right? But this is what Paul is talking about. It's that. Abba, that we can run with excitement to our dad, and he grabs us like a good dad, and he holds us close, and there's security and there's assurance there that we're his. Guys, and nothing can change that. And just like my kids, they don't have to wonder if I'm going to be their dad or if I want them or if I'm going to give them away or if I love them. They know I'm their dad. We can know that this is the way that God sees us because we've been adopted. But this only happens through the work of Jesus. This is why coming to Jesus, and this is why Paul starts off with talking about justification, that we all need Jesus in order for this to be true in our lives. That you might have been thinking about this, and you're hearing me describe it, and you're like, that sounds so good. I want that. The gospel is amazing. You need to know that it is if you're in Christ. If you've come to Jesus and said, here's me. I need all of you. I believe. And he steps in and takes your sin and gives you everything so that we can call him Abba. And I love the way John Piper talks about this. It's going to come up here on the screen. Take a look at this. He says, we don't infer logically the fatherhood of God through the testimony of the Spirit. We enjoy emotionally the fatherhood of God through the testimony of the Spirit. And guys, what he's saying is that when the Spirit tells us who we are, that we're God's kids, that he's adopted us, this isn't just a thing that we hear and we're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Got it. He's saying, as when we hear this, our response is emotional. But this is a, a theological truth that has an emotional reaction. And guys, this is where it gets practical. That emotional reaction to being adopted by God and, and having God as, as Abba, Father, this is devastating to sin in our life. Because now we understand that God is so much better than anything that I could be tempted with in this world. And it looks so much worse. But if I don't know God as Father, if I don't know the greatness of the gospel, then yes, this looks pretty good, even though it's disgusting. But when I know that it's Abba and the goodness of his gospel, he is so much better than sin. And it just kills sin. We choke out the appeal of sin in our life because Jesus is that much better. So some of you guys have maybe have heard of a guy named Tim, Timothy Keller. He's a pastor, theologian, author. In talking about this passage, he, he gives a, an illustration all right, from a, an old Vietnamese movie called Three Seasons. Anybody seen it? Didn't think so. Okay, I haven't watched it either, but it'll still be good for us. Okay, But he gives this illustration from this movie that's going to be super helpful. When I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, like this just put to, into concrete like what Paul is saying. But this movie is, is about a, a rickshaw driver. You know what a rickshaw driver is? It's a rickshaw driver is like one of those taxi cabs that is pedaled by a bike, right? And it's about this rickshaw driver in this, in this city. 
All right, and he is like in love with this, this girl in town, and this girl happens to be uh, a prostitute. All right, and, and he watches this girl every day take her clients to this really fancy hotel, and he waits out front and waits for them to get done, and then she walks out, and he gives her a ride home and talks to her, and she has dreams, right? She doesn't want to always be a prostitute. She has a dream of staying in this hotel by herself one night, and she's aspiring to that. But this guy, he, he really likes her, and he pursues her, but he, he doesn't have money to pay her. And so he enters into this rickshaw race, and he actually wins. He wins $50, which is the amount that it costs to stay with this girl for a night. And so he goes to her, and he says, hey, I got this $50. And she kind of looks at him, and she's like, okay, well, let's go do this. Takes the money. They go to this really nice hotel. They walk up to the room, and as they're walking in the room, you're kind of just waiting for this, like, hot sex scene, right? And they walk into the, the room, and he's got dinner waiting for her. And she turns around, just kind of confused, and he says, hey, I don't want to have sex with you. I just want you to have a really nice night. And so here's dinner, and I'm just going to kind of sit back and watch you fall asleep. That's kind of weird, but, right? <laughs> the general feel of the story is good. But he's like, I just want to ha- have you have a nice night's sleep. So she falls asleep. He leaves. She wakes up in the morning, and there's breakfast waiting for her. And she's sitting there in this beautiful hotel room, eating breakfast. Her dreams are being fulfilled. And in that moment, she realizes, I can never go back to prostitution. That the way that this guy loved her and cared for her and saw her and treated her completely changed her life. Guys, when we understand that we have been adopted by God and we experience the love of God like that as Abba, sin loses its appeal and it changes us. You no longer desire that. You want God and we get God. And the Spirit reinforces that to us. And there's absolute assurance in this. There's no fear. There's only security. And so the Spirit, he leads us to holiness. He leads us to assurance. And we're going to end with this. The Holy Spirit leads us to an inheritance. Keeps getting better, guys. The gospel keeps getting better. Verse 17. Actually, we'll start in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Circle this. Heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says that God's family, God's adopted kids through faith, will share in our brother Jesus' sufferings. And we're going to talk in in detail about that next week, the suffering that we will all experience. But here he says that we'll also share in his glory. And so let's get intensely practical with the question, guys, is following Jesus worth it? Guys, we're doing better with the whole responding thing. I'm proud of you. This is awesome. Yes. Paul says emphatically, yes. Well, why? Because that answer is tied to our inheritance. What are these, what are these benefits of the gospel? What is this inheritance that the Spirit leads us towards? All right, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and this is how we're going to end. Just go forward a couple books. Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to encourage you this week, 
all right, to, to read Ephesians chapter one, maybe every single day, because in this, Paul outlines the great blessings that Jesus gives us through faith, this great inheritance. And here's what he says this inheritance is. Look at verses three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, circle chose us, that God chooses you, guys, that he sees you. This is part of the inheritance, right, that he sees you. Like, you know, you don't have to wonder, am I good enough? Like, it's not like dodgeball in, in elementary school where you're kind of waiting in that line. Are they going to pick me? Are they going to pick me? No, you're not good enough. You're too slow. You're what? right? It's not like that. God sees you. And he says, no, you're not good enough, but Jesus is, and I love you, and he chooses you. This is a blessing. This is an inheritance. Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption, circle adoption, that he's adopted you. He's a father. He loves you. He's got you. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon you guys, that he has redeemed you. This is part of the inheritance, your redemption, that he frees you from the guilt of sin in your life, that the sin that is in your life, that has destroyed your life, and you're standing with God, Jesus wipes that clean through faith. He redeems you. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. All right, this, all of these things, he gives you eternity in glory with him. And then verse 13 and 14, I love this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, when you said yes to Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Guys, this is a picture of a king sending out a, a, a scroll. And as a king would do that in ancient days, they would write it, and then they would roll it, and they would seal it until it got delivered to its final destination, and no one could open it up. This is the picture that upon saying yes to Jesus, we get sealed with the Holy Spirit, that there is no fear in condemnation anymore, that there's only security, and it won't be opened until we're in heaven with glory in Jesus. This is what he's saying. This is Jesus. This is gospel doctrine. And so I'll ask you this as we close, guys. What is keeping you from Jesus? Wherever you're at in your faith, because run to God can because he loves you he's revealed himself as father that the life you want is with him and he will lead you by the presence and the power of his spirit to take hold of it and live in that through faith and so if you're a christian here man as you put to death sin by the power and the presence of the spirit in your life remember the great truths of the gospel that there's assurance that he's father, that he has given you everything, and let that just create a wave of thankfulness in your life that sin doesn't look good anymore. And if you're not following Jesus, man, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I love, it's one of the highest honors I have to teach you the Bible. All of this can be yours. That's what Jesus is saying to you today. Everything that you just heard could be yours. You just need to come to him. Let me pray. God, thanks for the reminder today through your word of the greatness of the gospel. God, I, can, I confess that, yeah, even in my life and in my Romans 7 moments of struggling with sin, that it is because I, I forget how good you actually are. 
you're so good. And so Holy Spirit, I just ask that even in this moment that you just reinforce to us that you would just spirit speak to our spirit and remind us of who you are and how good you are and how much you love us. And would you just let that just stir within us a desire, an obligation, a debt to live for, with, and like you, Jesus. And so even as we sing these songs, God, just let it be pleasant. I pray that it would just be an extension, an overflow. The smoke that's coming out would be just a, God, just an expression of how thankful we are to you. Jesus, we just thank you for everything. In your name we pray, amen.